you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, on page 812. This morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Would you please stand? Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for this chance to be together this morning. We pray, Father, that you'd be pleased to send the Holy Spirit upon us in a powerful way, that your Spirit would put far from us all those distractions that keep us from hearing your voice, and that you would pry open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word this morning, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. A very dear friend of mine who I've mentioned many times from this pulpit is named Dick Lucas. Uh, Dick is the former longtime pastor of a church in London, England. Uh, he pastored the same church for about 40 plus years and uh, did a remarkable job at this church in the middle of the city of London, um, reaching out to uh, originally to business people who would come along and hear the Bible being taught. And that church, which at one point was uh, such that the choir outnumbered the congregation, uh, that church has grown and grown and grown and grown. Uh, Dick retired uh, 20 years ago. Uh, it's been picked up, uh, the ministry's been picked up by a young successor, William Taylor, who's getting ready to retire himself. And uh, so the, the, the fruit of Dick's work in St. Helens uh, Bishop's Gate, that's the church he pastored for many years. Uh, the fruit there is ongoing, it's thriving. Uh, Dick is about to turn 98 years old, and he is physically active and, and mentally as sharp as can be. It's a great inspiration to spend time with him. And uh, the McAnally's from our congregation are in England this week, and I said, do yourself a favor, when you're in London, England, I go to St. Helen's Bishop's Gate. It's sort of like a second church to me and Leslie. We love it. It's a beautiful ministry. And I think in God's providence, that's largely because of the work, the faithful work of Dick Lucas over many, many years. Well, I want to think with you this morning about fruitfulness. Uh, fruitfulness is an idea that shows up in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Uh, in fact, it's throughout the Bible. Uh, if you look at the book of Genesis, uh, at the very end of the creation of man, God gave instructions to uh, Adam and Eve for them to go forth and be fruitful. And that idea of fruitfulness 
carries it right on through the, all, of, all the book of Genesis, all the Old Testament. The idea of fruitfulness continues right through the New Testament. Uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we read about the, the fruit of the Spirit's work in the life of the individual believer. We read about the work of the Spirit and the fruit of the life of a church. And uh, here, the Lord Jesus picks up on this idea of fruitfulness, and he uses it as an illustration towards the end, the very end, of the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's interesting. Uh, here in chapter 7, we're, we're in one of the concluding paragraphs. There are just a couple more paragraphs to go. We'll be looking at those. Um, and Jesus takes this opportunity as he concludes the most famous sermon that anybody has ever preached. Uh, he uses it as a time to talk specifically about fruitfulness, but also specifically about the danger of false prophecy, false teaching. And I'd like for us to think about that this morning uh, because I care about you. And because I care about our church, uh, it is very wise for us to heed the loving words of the Lord Jesus as he speaks to his disciples. Uh, the first generation who are right there listening to him preach these words, and through them, you and I. Uh, the same concerns which were on Jesus' heart as he concluded this sermon, I think, should rightly be on our hearts. So let's look and see what Jesus has to say about fruitfulness. As I said, uh, the idea of fruit is an idea that goes all the way through the Bible. Uh, the Greek word is karpon or karpos. Um, you know the, the great uh, second century uh, Christian apologist named Polycarp. Uh, his name was actually Polycarpus. Uh, poly meaning abundant fruitfulness. Uh, Polycarp was an abundantly fruitful servant of the Lord Jesus. And... Um, and so this idea of, of fruitfulness is, uh, is carried on from the Old into the New Testament. And uh, Jesus talks about the reality of two kinds of fruitfulness. Now, this is something I guess I hadn't really thought of it in these categories. Jesus says every plant will have fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit? Will the fruit that it bears be Good fruit or bad fruit? Will the tree or the plant, he uses the, uh, the picture here of, of uh, healthy and unhealthy or diseased trees. He says both of them are going to have fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit? He starts out by telling us, uh, as he talks about these, this idea of fruitfulness in verse 17, he says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit. Let's think about a healthy tree. Uh, there's all kind of fruit that comes from a healthy tree. You have beautiful apples, you have pears, you have all kinds of fruit that come from, the, from these trees. And Jesus says a really healthy tree will bear healthy apples and healthy pears. Uh, they'll be nourishing, they'll be beautiful to look at, they'll taste delicious. Uh, healthy trees produce healthy fruit. Well, what does a healthy tree look like in the Christian life? Uh, we've called this sermon series of the Christian life or uh, the, the, the idea of living in the life of the king as part of his kingdom. 
So in the kingdom, what does fruitfulness, good fruitfulness, look like? Well, it bears fruit in the life of every individual uh, believer. There will be the, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul wrote about. Uh, as we grow in Christ, as we are nourished in the Word, we will bear healthy fruit. It will, it will give us attitudes. Now, it doesn't necessarily happen instantaneously. Every once in a while, something in the Christian life happens instantaneously. Those are usually the things where God says it will be, and it is instantly. We go from darkness to light instantly as, as we're given the fullness of everything in Christ but lots of other things in the Christian life sort of unfold. Jesus, in his prayer that we just prayed, the, uh, the famous Lord's Prayer, talks about daily bread. And the Christian life is lived out in a daily way. I read a Christian uh, commentator just this week say that the, the Christian life is every day beginning a new day in Christ. Uh, we, we every day are called to turn towards Jesus and to experience once again his sovereign power. We can't go 24 hours without turning again to Christ, turning again to Jesus' Father, turning again to the Spirit which draws us to Christ and draws us to Jesus' Father. A healthy tree in the life of a believer means a life characterized by that. A life of constant repentance, constantly turning again. That's what repentance means, to turn. And the Christian life of a healthy tree will be characterized by turning again and again and again to the Lord. It will bear fruit in terms of our behaviors, but if your experience is anything like mine, I'll have a lot of bad experiences and poor behaviors mixed in. That's why over time, as the Spirit does the Spirit's work, He changes us. He, he transforms us. And that's what the, the healthy tree, the healthy Christian life looks like. It will bear fruit like that in the life of an individual. And of course, the church also uh, shows health or disease. What, what does a healthy tree look like in the life of a congregation? It will also be a life characterized by congregational repentance, congregational humility. It will be characterized by an eagerness together to open God's word and to be nourished on God's word. That's what a healthy church looks like. By the way, that is a separate category of consideration than numbers or budgets or size of buildings or how many staff you have. Those things are poor indicators of whether a tree is actually healthy or diseased. It's not about those things. Now, God can add those things, often does add those things, as he did in the life of my friend Dick Lucas in London and his church, St. Helens, which has grown and has all kinds of fruit over many years. But, you know, the fruit that really matters is not budgets and congregational attendance by itself. Those are poor indicators. 
They are indicators, but they're, they're not reliable indicators of whether a, a tree is truly healthy. What shows that a congregation is truly healthy is this attitude of turning again and again towards the Lord. It's a group, a group of believers who together are seeking to follow Christ. Well, I'm praying that Metrocrest will become a healthier and healthier and healthier tree. A healthier and healthier congregation. That the Lord will lead us as, as his word is applied to our hearts. As, as we as individuals and as a congregation repent and turn daily to the Lord. That's what a healthy tree looks like. What does a diseased tree look like? A diseased tree, well, I have a diseased tree in my yard. <laughs> Maybe you've had a diseased tree in your yard at one time or another as well. Uh, the fruit of a diseased tree is ugly. It's, it doesn't taste good. It's not beautiful to look at. It's often hideous. A diseased tree is not getting well. Uh, we had a diseased tree over here in the side yard. You'll notice it less because the Hortons, on their own, came over here with uh, Charlie's chainsaw and got rid of the diseased tree. Because Jesus says that's what happens to diseased trees. They get cut down. Diseased trees do not bring good fruit. They bring diseased fruit, bad fruit. What does it look like in the life of an individual? Well, you probably know a little bit about that too. You've probably seen people who bear the fruit of being a, a diseased tree. Uh, you know, a, a tree can get healthy again. It's a wonderful thing about trees. Uh, sometimes they have to be cut down and done away with, but a healthy, a, a diseased tree can be helped. Very grateful to know in the Christian life that, that even though we may have seasons of dysfunction and dis disease, even though we may have those seasons, it is possible for there to be transformation. It's a beautiful thing in the Christian life to see someone who's wandering away to be brought back to the light, brought back to life. Jesus is in the business of healing diseased trees. But here Jesus is focusing on the, on the tree that, that will not be transformed. The, the resistant tree, the, 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 the tree that resists God's power. That kind of tree, there's no hope for it. So, there is fruit, whether you're a healthy tree or a diseased tree. The question is, what kind of fruit? Will it be good fruit or will it be bad, bitter, ugly, useless fruit? Fruitfulness. It's a reality that all of us experience one way or another. So Jesus here is, is teaching us something that's universal, but he turns to something very specific. In fact, he starts out with something very specific. You'll notice in verse 15, Jesus is talking about something very specific. He turns to a, a more general application, but he begins by saying in verse 15, beware of something. He's speaking to his disciples 
His most famous sermon, and as it's recorded in the gospel, his first sermon, as it's recorded here. Uh, There's something very significant about it, and he wants us to beware of something. Now, he's told us to beware of other things. He's told us to beware of the, the hypocrites. But here he says, beware of false prophets. Uh, it's striking to me that as Jesus is wrapping up this first and most famous sermon, he talks about something I'm not sure it would have crossed my mind. He says to his disciples, beware of false prophet, prophets who come to you. The, the idea is in the present tense, the, this ongoing, who, who are coming to you. That's a reality in the Christian life. That's a reality in the life of the individual. That's a reality in the life of the church. Jesus says, in love to his disciples, beware of this thing. Beware of these things, plural, these false prophets who come to you. You know, the church can be so naive sometimes. Uh, we, we We can... Forget what Jesus cautions us about and what he tells us to beware of. There is a reality called false prophecy, false prophets. Now, what is a prophet? Well, in the Old Testament, a prophet was one who brought a message from God. Sometimes it was a a message that foretold the future. Often it was a word from God that wasn't foretelling the future. It was foretelling a message from the Lord. Sometimes with implications for today, sometimes with implications for tomorrow, sometimes with implications in a thousand years. So the prophets had all kinds of messages. Jesus said, there are false prophets. Beware of them. What a timely word for us today. What a timely word for us today to to beware of the reality of false prophets prophets who come to us and he tells us something about their coming to us it's very interesting what he says he says they will come to you in sheep's clothing in other words they they might be all dressed up like a true prophet they might be acting like a true prophet but they're actually he says inwardly ravenous wolves It could hardly be a more striking contrast. He's saying uh, they come dressed up like a sheep, harmless. The the picture of God's people, that that was the image used again and again to describe God's people in both the Old and the New Testament, sheep. And they can come to us dressed up like one of God's own people. And yet inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. What do ravenous wolves do? Well, they eat, they consume, they destroy I guess you could say in the animal kingdom, they're the equivalent of a, of a diseased tree. Now, they're, they're not, they're not uh, harmless wolves. They're ravenous wolves. And Jesus says, beware of them. This word false prophets, actually in Greek, one word. It's a pseudo-prophet. Pseudo-prophet, a fake prophet, a pretend prophet. Jesus says, beware of them. I've been thinking a lot about false prophets this week. And uh, just a few days ago, I was, I was on a, a call out with a uh, policeman who's become a, I'm a chaplain for the Carrollton Police Department. And I had a great conversation with this young man. He's a police officer, 
we have great conversations. And he always brings to me these crazy questions. And he told me about a band called Ghost. Anybody in the room ever heard of Ghost? Don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> there's a band called Ghost. And um, it's, it's a Swedish band, very popular in this country, very, very popular around the world. It's led by a musician named Tobias Forge. Very, very talented. We actually, as we were driving along, waiting on our next call in the police cruiser, we were listening to Tobias Forge. And uh, it, the interesting thing was it was beautiful music. Some of it was extremely beautiful music, very, very well played. Some of it was very heavy metalish, but there, was, there were beautiful parts to it often. But the thing about Tobias Forge, which was interesting, he comes dressed up in religious garb. That's how he presents himself. In fact, this guy seems to have a real axe to grind about Christian things. So half of the lyrics in his songs come from either the Bible or Christian theology or church life. Somewhere, someone messed him up in Christian things. And so here's this extremely talented, very popular musician. He comes dressed up, I think he calls himself Papa, the Pope. And he comes dressed up with a miter, and he, he looks like this religious figure, and he comes in, and he's so talented. Well, I was, I've been thinking about false prophets. I thought, well, I guess that's one kind of a person you might characterize as a false prophet, but I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind here. I mean, I, I don't commend his teaching. I Actually, the policeman and I prayed for Tobias Forge. How's that? We actually prayed for him. He was certainly disguised. But he wasn't really very well disguised. I think he's just a hurting young man. And uh, I feel quite comfortable praying for him. And I'd do the same thing if he were sitting here in church today. No, it's, it's not the Tobias Forges of the world that Jesus is describing here. The, the pseudo-prophets that Jesus cautions us about are the ones we might miss. That's the point. It's not the outrageous, outlandish person with some axe to grind against the church. That's a different, important category, but a different category. No, what Jesus tells us to beware of is the subtle disguise. The one who comes in in a business suit or a clergy collar, or skinny jeans, or, or, or a white button-down shirt. Those are the ones he says, beware, look closely. That's what beware means. Look closely. Pay close attention. Appearances can be deceiving. You don't have to be wearing outrageous, outlandish uh, costumes and facial makeup to... Uh, no, the, the, the thing Jesus says is to watch for the subtle things. And, and actually what he focuses on is the fruit. That's what really matters. He says in verse uh, 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. See, we're, we're so easily deceived. You know, I, I think we here in Texas, you know, we, we can be easily deceived by all the outward things, you know, saying the right words and having the right tone of voice. It sort of depends on which Christian subculture you're a part of. But, you know, 
we all have our, our little clues and our little things. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, all those subcultural reference points are manipulatable and easy to fake. Easy to fake. I was in a denomination for many years where it was a, it was a professional activity to cultivate a religious facade. You went to seminary, and more or less, that's what they taught you. <laughs> how, to, how to act the part really, really well. And sadly, there was a lot less focus on not just playing the part, but actually doing the work and doing the ministry that Jesus entrusts to his servants, the prophets. So Jesus cautions us about false prophets. They are a reality. We would be naive to forget that. And it, it comes up all the time. A teaching that, that is well presented and, and articulately expressed that kind of gets our attention. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with reading and studying. But beware and look at the fruit that is so important. Look at the fruit. Always look at the fruit of it. It's real easy to, to write a convincing case. That's something, you, if you're really smart, it can come scarily easily. But look at the fruit of it. What does it actually look lived out? Jesus says, beware of false prophets because you will discover, as he says, thorns and thistles not grapes and figs, thorns and thistles. Because false teaching, like false prophets, bear ugly, ugly fruit. Uh, one of my heroes is uh, an Episcopal bishop named C. Fitzsimmons Allison. He was the Bishop of South Carolina. He taught at the seminary where I went. Uh, he was one of the last holdouts of this great generation of evangelicals. I think he's also in his 90s now. And and Bishop Allison wrote a book called The Pastoral uh, Cruelty, The Pastoral Cruelty of Heresy. The Pastoral Cruelty of Heresy. His point was, heresy can look beautiful. False prophets can make lies look beautiful. They may appear like a healing thing, like it's a good thing. This heresy over here, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful? Look how, that's so much easier so much, so much more what I would like to hear. And they make a cottage industry out of leading people astray. And see, Fitzsimmons Allison's point was, it is so cruel to do that. Cruel in the extreme to lead people astray. And Jesus cautions us, beware of that. Beware of that. So, and... As he concludes his sermon, Jesus cautions us about false prophets. He cautions us about them and he tells us uh, that we will recognize them, verse 20, by their fruits. Now he doesn't say something here specifically about true prophets. But they're here because he's here. 
what Jesus is actually doing is contrasting the false prophets with himself. He is the preeminent prophet. He is the preeminent prophet in whom all the other little prophets find their ultimate significance. We, we had a great discussion in uh, the adult Sunday school class. Um, it's just been a blast. And it's, it's, as I've said a couple of times, it's, it's striking how often we're dealing with similar topics. And uh, this morning, Will led a great discussion about the uh, character Elihu in the book of Job. Very complicated character. One of the most respected uh, Bible commentaries I've ever known is a guy named Christopher Ash, And Christopher Ash uh, had a change of heart about Elihu. <laughs> he, he sort of thought Elihu was, uh, was not a particularly faithful true prophet. He's since come to believe that Elihu is a true prophet. And that we should pay close attention to him. Uh, it goes to show you how human prophets under Christ are all imperfect. We're all imperfect. David, who was called a prophet, was a notorious sinner, an adulterer, a murderer. There are other examples. Jonah, uh, who's one of the great Old Testament prophets, would not do what God told him to do. So being a prophet doesn't mean that in our humanity, any of us is free of sin. In fact, the club of people who are untainted by sin has one member, Jesus. And he ultimately is the true prophet. He ultimately is the one to whom we all look. And so really the true prophet is the one whose teaching and whose ministry lines up with Jesus' teaching and ministry. The, the, the one whose teaching lines up with the Sermon on the Mount. The one whose teaching lines up with Scripture. The one who lines up with Jesus. Whose heart is on the spiritual welfare of the sheep. And brothers and sisters, that sometimes requires a lot of discernment. It requires discernment. No wonder Jesus tells us to beware. Requires so much discernment. John Calvin wrote a commentary on the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul talks about fruit in the life of the church. And he mentions prophecy and prophets specifically. This is what Calvin wrote. He, had, he said, I am certain in my own mind that he means by prophets not those endowed with the gift of foretelling, but those who are blessed with the unique gift of dealing with Scripture, not only by interpreting it, but also by the wisdom they showed in making it meet the needs of the hour. In a word, Calvin said, my view is that the prophets referred to here are those who are skillful and experienced in making known the will of God by applying prophecies, threats, promises, and all the teaching of Scripture to the current needs of of the church. True prophecy is that teaching which lines up with the Bible. I think Calvin's got this exactly right. He's, I think, properly understanding Paul and properly understanding Jesus. 
That true prophecy will line up with the scriptures and it will be grounded in love and it will be aimed at the good of the church. That's true prophets. That, that is a true prophet. That is true prophecy. That's what you should pray for. Uh, we sang a, a hymn. I'm uh, very grateful to Nick for adding this hymn. It's not one that uh, is very well known today. Brethren, we have met to worship one of my favorite old hymns. I know it's a little politically incorrect, although it does include references to sisters and to fathers and mothers. So we touched all the bases if you were paying attention. But the idea was when the church gathers to worship and adore the Lord, as we understand it, we're gathered around the Word of God. And as the hymn writer says, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So pray for your pastor, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons, pray for your Sunday school teachers, pray for your youth group leaders, pray for those who lead care groups where we study the Bible. Anybody who's entrusted with the responsibility of helping to bring God's word into the life of the congregation, pray for them. Pray for them that the Holy Spirit will draw us all to Christ and help all of us to grow as we apply God's word. That's the work of of every faithful servant. If you're talking to a friend, one-on-one, maybe you've never led a Bible class, maybe, maybe you've never given a talk on a Bible topic, but you're talking to a friend and you're bringing perhaps either explicitly or implicitly, God's word into a conversation, into a situation. Maybe someone who is suffering. Pray that you will do it with the heart of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus. That will sometimes include bringing a hard word, as Jesus unfailingly was willing to do. But pray that we will... We will bring the word of God faithfully and deliver it faithfully. That's what true prophecy looks like. Now, the interesting thing is Jesus has kind of bunched up this idea of the the fruitfulness of the individual, the fruitfulness of the church. It's all wrapped around and, and interwoven with this idea of false prophets, true prophets under Christ. Uh, they're, they're connected. They are connected. The the leaders of the church, those who are responsible for bringing God's word in the life of the church, have a very important role to play in the fruitfulness of the church. You will very, very, very seldom find a church that's bearing good fruit that is not led by a true and faithful teacher where the Bible study leaders and the elders and the deacons are not seeking humbly, imperfectly, but humbly to faithfully bring God's word. You will almost, I can't think of an example. I can only think of examples where the the faithfulness of the Bible teaching bears fruit in the life of the individuals and in the congregation. Again, it's not all about numbers. It's not about budgets. It's not about average Sunday attendance. Those those things are uh, important, but they're not central. What's important is what's happening in our lives. What's happening in the life of our church? Are we are we seeking to become more like Jesus or not? Uh, 
We sang the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. That'd be a good hymn to sing on the way home. (laughs) Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move. Take my voice and let me sing. Take my silver and my gold. Take my will and make it thine. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. That's the fruit of the faithful teaching of God's word. That's the fruit of the individual who is being made more and more and more into the image of Christ.